This week, my experience with interviews and love for the podcast. Then, my clickbait, or is it? The strange news of a little girl who ate her parents. I hesitated before I did this subject this week, but, you know, it's Halloween time, and I get a lot of requests for interviews, I get a lot of requests for media, you know, everybody's looking for ghost stories, which, my favorite time of year, hands down, I could talk till I'm blue in the face, as you've witnessed personally listening to this this podcast. So I thought, hey, I'd do a segment about being interviewed. I know offhand it's it doesn't sound like a very exciting segment, but I'm going to change your mind on this. You know, stick with me because I have a very interesting story about a current Hamilton politician <laughs> back back when he was a uh, uh, air quote shock doc shock shock jock. I had an encounter with him. He probably doesn't remember. I definitely do. <laughs> um, so that story's coming up. It's not going to be boring as well. It's not really a pop culture kind of worry for most people, but let's just set it aside and say, okay, you're not being interviewed for ghost stories. You're not being interviewed for because you're a famous person, but instead you could be interviewed for a job. So really, this actually fits that quite well. And if I were to pick the two types of interviews, I'm going to talk about uh, radio shows, which are slowly fading fast. And podcasts, which is my bread and butter. It's what I love. Uh, so I'm going to talk about those two types. And if I were to say, what is a job interview more like? I would say definitely the radio show. So when I'm talking about how to do a radio interview, that's the more transferable skill to a job interview. So as you'll hear when I'm giving some tips and tricks when it comes to the radio interview, you'll say, okay, that's like the more professional the more cut down, the more straight-laced uh, answers, and that's what you have to do in a job interview. Of course, I'm, I mean, you can mix them both, now that I think about it, because the podcast uh, type of interview is more laid back. So, I mean, you could mix them. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I come to these conclusions as I'm talking. You really, you really improve my life, dear listeners. I am so happy to be able to come back every week and talk to you guys, but yeah, it just makes me think now, you you combine the two. I haven't done a job interview in a very long time, so I haven't had to do this, but you could combine the two, because you could have that laid-back style mixed with the professional filtered version of answers to the question. Okay, well, you know what, I'm going to get into it, and then you'll, you'll see what I mean, but this is split in as i mentioned radio show versus podcast and in your, in your mind you might be thinking wait a minute what 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 is the difference and there is there is a big difference now it's changing although it can't completely change because the radio realizes that people want the podcast so the radio is trying to be more like the podcast a good example of that is i just did the show with uh, andrew from McMaster Silhouette. It's called Off the Pages on CFMU, the McMaster station. And his is run more like a podcast. But the beauty of his is 
you don't have to cut the 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 guest off every five to ten minutes to throw in advertising. So at least they, you know, McMaster Radio's got it right. Uh, they understand what the, uh, the 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 younger generation wants, and I'll factor myself into that <laughs> just for this show. And then afterwards, I'll be go, I'll go back to being an old guy. But they they understand. But uh, most of the radio sh- stations, like the interview I did uh, yesterday. Uh, with AM 900 CHML, it's the old-fashioned style. I'll talk about that in a second. So I'm going to split it up. Radio versus podcast, podcast versus radio. I'm going to start with the podcast one because that's my love, and I want to you know jump into that right away. And the podcast interview is basically a conversation. Now, from my point of view, I don't really do interviews. I did one uh, with Kate uh, DeJong. Uh, the 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 author and the the psychic, and I uh, I enjoyed it greatly, but I also find it very difficult, you know, with the scheduling, get everybody on board. Maybe down the road, as the podcast builds, I'll do more interviews. But I don't know if you notice the way that I talk with you guys is kind of like a conversation. I, yes, I'm having a conversation with myself. I I, I heard you say that whoever on the other end just said that i heard you say it that's how uh, podcasts work <laughs> uh so yes i'm having a conversation with myself which i'm very good at doing <laughs> unfortunately it's uh, it's kind of strange but it's still a conversation it's also laid back i i tried the more um filtered the more prepped and it didn't it didn't feel right to me so this is this is more you know the way i like to go so, but that's what a podcast interview is, whether it's just somebody talking like I am, or if you're doing an interview, it's, it's a conversation. So you gotta, you gotta realize that the, 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 what facilitates the conversation is time. So a podcast doesn't really have a limit and every podcast interview I've done over the years, it, it just, it, it, you can say, okay, how long do you want to talk? And they'll say like 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. But most of them, you just you just keep going. You keep going until you're done, until there's a natural end to it. And the listener, they can see, right? It tells them right off the bat how long this is going to be. And they can listen to it whenever they want. There's no schedule behind it. There's another difference with radio. That's a live broadcast on radio. This can be downloaded and played whenever. So because of that extended time, openness, a natural conversation can be created. And I always find myself so much more extremely calm when I do a podcast interview. It doesn't matter which one. I just, I, I, can, I can lean back. I can pause as long as I want while I think of something. I can bring forth the answers in a very careful and crafted way, which is my style. So I find that very open. I find that very fun. Uh, so basically the conversation, just like you're talking to your buddies. So if you're, if you ever want to start a podcast, which I highly recommend it is, uh, tons of fun, or if you want to, um, do interviews for a podcast in whatever field that you represent, you know, you're trying to get some exposure or teach people something, then that's what I say. You just, it's a conversation. You lean back into it. Now, sometimes you're going to have an interviewer is not that experienced and that's totally fine. You can carry the conversation. That's the other beauty of podcasts. It doesn't really matter what the interviewer is like. 
They don't have to be Larry King. They don't have to be, uh, was it uh, Strombo, George Stromalopoulos from CBC, uh, Canadian content guys. They don't have to be that. They can, they can just be like, um, hmm, that's very interesting. Tell me more. And that's good enough because <laughs> then you just keep going. And it's like almost like what I'm doing with you guys now. I can, you know, keep the conversation going without having a conversation. You're just basically having a conversation with yourself or you're having a conversation with the listener, even though they're not really saying anything back. And sometimes as well, which I haven't experienced personally, is you can have a live chat going at the same time. Uh, As a side note, I don't think I would enjoy that, to be honest. I, I think about that with the live chat. I would find it very distracting. And I find I, I do well when I can just kind of focus in on something like I'm doing right now. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but I don't have a script. Uh, I, I have a point, bullet point list in front of me in Microsoft Word. And I, I just list out some of the general points I want to talk about. And then I just go from it. So once I'm into a point, I just see what, what pops in my mind. So this is this is done all from scratch. I'm not reading this. And I find it's very uh, raw. I find it's very personable. And hopefully that's translating to you guys as well. Uh, So for the podcast, I just overall love it. I know if any uh, radio show hosts are listening right now and you're thinking, uh, screw you, buddy, radio rocks. (laughs) Good. I'm glad. It works well for you. But for me personally, it's it's all about the podcast. And I hope that doesn't ruin my chance of getting interviews in the future, as I said. But the, yeah, no, Ed, that's my suggestions for the podcast. But what about the radio interviews? Well, I do enjoy them to a point. There's going to be a post going on the Ghost Walks Facebook page, I believe, sometime next week. Yeah. It's a link. Um, We were featured in the Ghost Walks were featured in Global News. And they did an article and they linked back to the AM 900 CHML interview. And you can can go and listen to it. Um, Yeah, I think the link will go up either next Wednesday or next Friday. And go and listen to it. And you can hear me. And I don't sound like I sound now. I sound very tired. And there's a reason for that. It was 6 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) It's like... I, I don't get up at six o'clock in the morning. I don't. I, 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 I sleep in because I, I lead tours in the evening time. That's my thing. And I, I, I can be more of a night person. So I don't normally get up at 6 a.m., especially to do a radio interview. So I'm like, before they uh, connected with me, they do it through Zoom. I was slapping myself. <laughs> wake up. Wake up, Dan. And uh, it still didn't come through. Uh, because I listen to the interview afterwards, which I usually do with my interviews to see what I can improve. And I sound like the walking dead. I sound like so out of it. So that's a downside of radio interviews because it's live. And I do find it is mostly the morning shows that want ghost content around Halloween. A very rare, I, I don't think I've ever had it. Very rarely I've had an afternoon or evening show come to me. It's mostly the morning shows that are seeking this. And the morning shows on radio are definitely the more uh, popular because it's, you know, people inside their cars, if they haven't switched over to podcasts in any way, they, they that's what they're listening to because they're a lot of fun. You know, they very high energy, wake you up in the morning, which is good. So 
but it's still a downside having to do it live because there's stress behind it, putting you, you have to, you know, schedule this aside. There could be technical difficulties and that could screw up the entire interview, that pressure right off the bat. And then there's the other pressure of time constraint. And this is the one I hate the most. Um, again, I was saying that Andrew from McMaster's uh, Silhouette, the show, it's wonderful. You can just sit and you just talk for like an hour or so. But with the other radio shows, most of them you're set to either, uh, for me it was six to eight minutes for that interview, but maybe a height of 10 minutes before they have to cut you off and go to commercial. And even if they keep you for a second segment afterwards, they've cut off the flow of the conversation. So when you come back, it's almost like you're starting from scratch. And it feels very awkward. So I don't consider that laid back. So when I do the radio interview like I did with uh, CHML, I was tense. I, I was, I was um, thinking about the time limit as well. And I also can't pause. I, can't, uh, I also can't speak on a more normal level because the, the radio show host has radio voice. I don't know if you guys know radio voice. If you've listened to any radio show, uh, you know, it's like the old, uh, welcome to CHML 900 AM. As, yeah, sorry, that's a terrible impression. I apologize. <laughs> I just butchered that. But you know what I'm talking about with radio voice. So it's on a, a certain level of professionalism that they can't say what they want because they can get in serious trouble. Uh, so that noose is around your neck ready to tighten. If you if you come off and uh, you know you, you let out a swear word by mistake, I, I don't swear normally, but I mean it could happen. It, it just doesn't feel comfortable. So that's it. Now I I, I said when the sense of uh, combining the two for a job interview, I'll just touch that very quickly before telling you my story with the politician. Uh, so the, yeah, the, the being laid back in a job interview is really important because you want to come off as friendly because no matter what job you're being hired for, you're going to be working with others, whether it be the general public or the other employees in the business. So being a bit laid back is always a good idea in job interviews in the sense that, you know, first off, it shows that you're a very personable type, but in the second side, it shows that you're not a nervous type. Because they know that doing a job interview is one of the most nerve-wracking things you could do. So if you come in as a calm, laid-back person, then immediately you've been propelled to the top of the list just for that. Because you can handle stress very well. So if you can work on that to start, uh, then that, that's a real advantage you can have in any job interview. It's one of the reasons why I did so well with it because I was really calm and I could talk well. The second side of it, though, on more of the radio interview side is you don't want to say something stupid. Like in a podcast interview, I can say all the stupid things I want, and I do. I do. I proved it today to you guys. But in a job interview, you can't. In a radio interview, you can't. So you mix in the professional filtered answers that you give to questions, like with a radio interview, and um, you answer the question that they're asking and nothing more. And if they want a follow-up, they will follow up and ask you more about it. Uh, so from the radio interview, that's what's most important from the podcast side, just being calm. 
just answering and, and you can pause in a, in a job interview. The longer it goes, in most cases, that's better for you because you're more memorable the longer that you sit in front of them. So you can pause, you can, you know, carefully think out your answers, but then you got to filter and you got to be professional with what you answer and quick um, and let them, you know, dig for more. But yeah, no, I, that uh, one thing I, I, I teased. Uh, so as a politician in the city of Hamilton, used to be a shock jock. It's it's public knowledge, so I'm not going to hide the name. It's a man named Jason Farr. I believe he represents uh, part of the downtown core. I'm not sure how the, the borderline works there for Hamilton. But back in the day, if you don't know this, uh, he was a shock jock. He was like Hamilton's answer to Howard Stern. Uh, but, you know, is, uh, he was, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, he was much more over the top than Howard Stern, uh, and he didn't have the same type of uh, personable interview skills that uh, that Howard Stern has. And that, again, that's in my opinion, but I experienced it personally, so I have a very experienced opinion on this. Uh, so it was, a, it was a long time ago, long, long time ago, like years and years ago. I did an interview for his, I believe it was the morning show, and I called in for it. I wasn't in studio, thank God. But it was early in the morning. I was still working full time, so I had uh, taken some time aside to do this. And it was it was a lot of trouble, you know. It wasn't. I, I I tried not to combine, like I worked during the day and then I did the ghost stuff at night uh, back then. So I I went to trouble to make sure I could do the interview. Um, I didn't know a hundred percent what type of DJ he was until we started talking about stuff and the whole interview was just to make fun of me and to make fun of what I do and to make fun of ghosts and to make fun of people who believe in ghosts and it was just uh, childish for lack of a better term is just it was just it was very uncomfortable and after about the second question that was done in jest, I shut myself off. Now, this was back in my earlier days. Like if it happens now, like just like when I lead a tour and I got uh, folks who are inebriated, drunk in the tour group, I know how to handle it now. I can, I can uh, go back and forth with them. I can, I can shut it down in a really polite way because I've learned a lot over the years. So this would have been a similar type situation. It's one of those ones where you think back and you're like, oh, if only I knew back then what I know today. And I would have been I would have been a rock star. And it's like, this is what I would have said. <laughs> it did it. It haunts your dreams at night. Uh, so I realize that I would have done a much better job. But uh, it was just a complete uh, SH show. The, not 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 his show. I'm just saying the interview was just terrible, and it was it was partly my fault for not reacting in the right way because I guess they were trying to get me to to come back and then have any, a fun exchange. I probably could have made fun of him, and it would have been fine. I'm sure he would have just laughed it off. I don't know. Maybe he would have gotten upset. Who knows? But um, it just was terrible. So that radio interview was back towards the beginning of my career, and I still think about that. When I do radio interviews now, there's much less these days because there's much less radio, I think, these days. But it did paint my experience from that moving forward. So there's really nothing for you guys to learn out of that. I just wanted to share that story, get it off my own chest.
And I have a feeling this episode is going to go a little bit long, but I think it's going to be worth it because I have a strange news article for you here with one of the weirdest headlines I have seen in a really long time. So here's what it is. Weird Norfolk, this is in the UK, the little girl in a crooked house in Norwich who ate her parents. See, if it, if it was clickbait in the title of this episode, it wasn't my clickbait. It was their clickbait. But to be honest, I don't think this is going to be clickbait. I'm looking at uh, the house. I'm looking at uh, some of the pictures here. And it's kind of creepy looking. So I'm going to say that uh, this is going to get interesting. So if, yeah, if you want to look up the article, I just gave the headline. And the Crooked House is in Tumlin Alley in Norwich. And it's like a row house, like a townhouse, but it's somehow still crooked. I guess foundational issues or something. Anyway, let's get going. Uh, she's been seen in the streets. Houses and churches of Tumlin. A gray lady who glides through walls and hides a terrible secret. When she was locked in a room with her plague victim parents, she ate their flesh to stay alive and met her end choking on that flesh. That's a great beginning to the article. Uh, sorry, let me let me give the authors here. Oh, it's two authors. Uh, Stacia Briggs and Sofry Connor. I'm sorry if I'm butchering your first names. Anyway, Briggs and Connor from the Eastern Daily Press. Once upon a time, there was a man, a woman, and their children who lived in Norwich in a little crooked house. The crooked house of familiar Norwich landmark is Augustine Stewart's house, a remarkable timber frame building which stands opposite the main entrance to Norwich Cathedral and which was built for Stewart, a former mayor of the city, in 1513 and famously used by royal troops sent to quash the 1549 Ketz Rebellion. Lord Sheffield stayed the night in this house which today is much photographed thanks to its twisted and warped timbers and which gave the building a distinctive lean whose wing forms the entrance to Tumlin Alley where plague victims were burned before his death at the house of the rebels. A lot to unpack in that article, but it's just kind of the backstory of the house itself, so I'm not going to try and break it down here. We really don't have time. Continuing. But the remarkable story which concerns us today is of the family that are said to have been boarded up into the house and were the victims of the aforementioned plague which cast its shadow over Norwich in 1578. So, the story goes, everyone who lived in Augustine Stewart's house has succumbed to the plague. Reports of the time describe the illness as thus. Such was its violence that all others' distempers gave way to it, or ran into it. They experienced the most intolerable pain from the heat of the head. The eyes were swelled and fiery, the tongue bloody, respiration difficult and breath fetid, vomitings of bilious matters frequent. <laughs> Finally, the body became livid, with pimples here and there scattered over it, 
which bred worms. Oh, God. Death took place the second or third day. Oh, man. Sorry, I laughed just because of the way they described it, but oh, man. That is a that is a bad disease. Uh, continuing. Some credit the terrible plague which ravaged the city to the Queen of Eng- uh, to the visit of Queen Elizabeth I, who spent five days in Norwich in August 1578, staying at the Bishop's Palace, which is close to Augustine Stewart's house. Believing the Queen's London train of followers had brought the disease with them. Oh, Queen Elizabeth I. That's not... Uh... And I know, I know British... This is Daniel. I know British people would not blame the Queen because they, they loved all their queens, and unless it was 100% true. So, uh, yeah. Continuing. Regardless of how the disease was delivered to Norwich, its consequences were horrific. Almost two years, the plague swept through the city, killing thousands. The dead piled high up in carts, and graveyards were raised to cram in the corpses. There's a long-held rumor that a plague pit lies beneath what was once the Samson and Hercules on Tombland. I don't know what Samson and Hercules is, but um, I'm sure there's a... Yeah, no idea. Uh, but no facts exist to give this theory credence. Similarly, Tombland is not named for tombs. That's what I would thought. Yeah, like T-O-M-B, land. Uh, the name actually comes from two old English words that mean open ground. Oh. Or an empty space and indicate an area which was once the main marketplace before the Normans arrived in 1066. But there were deaths in Tumlin and a story about one such death has passed in a Norwich legend. Sorry, I'm just going to uh, talk about this. Tumlin tomb is i guess a name that derives from the old english words meaning open ground so i guess you can kind of say tomb is is what it means that it's not named for tombs in the sense of bodies but technically it is because i guess that's where the word comes from but anyway continuing as the plague cut through the city an order was sent to seal up the buildings 100 years later, these the same orders were carried out for the Great Plague of 1665, and a written description has survived, which is thought may have been similar to the instructions given in Norwich in 1578. Uh, so the, uh, the description is, as sick or infected people would be moved from houses, and the house itself would be shut up and locked for 40 days with a red cross, and Lord have mercy upon us in capital letters written on the door. And after the 40-day quarantine, a white cross would be fixed to the door for another 20 days, during which the time the house would have been fumigated, cleaned, and painted with lime. Now clothes and household items had to stay in the house for a further three months. It is said that the procedure happened in Norwich, but that one family was actually... Oh, okay. So basically, they took the families out of the houses and then locked up the house because I guess they thought the sickness, which it's possible, stayed in the house and stayed on the walls and the possessions. 
So the family should have been taken out of the house. That's what they're saying. Um, so in the one house that a family was accidentally boarded up in their house, uh, possibly they were too ill to shout out to let anybody know that they were still there. And, you know, it's possible that they were dead too. That's the reason why I didn't know. But weeks later, bailiffs uh, returned and discovered a grim and grisly sight. So we're back to the crooked house now. Sorry, I mean, this writing is a little bit a little bit confusing. Started out with a bang, and now I'm a little confused. But uh, So the family was accidentally boarded up, and they came back to open it back up after the 40 days. And here's what they found. In one room, the bodies of two adults were found, the mother and father. When their bodies were examined, it was found that they had unusual marks on their legs, human teeth. Next to the bodies of the parents was the corpse of a young girl. The story continues that this child had not been consumed by the plague, but rather had choked to death on the flesh of her parents having been forced to consume them. Oh my God. <sighs> I mean, if there was ever a reason to haunt a place, that would be it. I mean, if that's how you died inside your home where you once felt comfortable. I'm sorry if you guys are watching this and you were happy a second ago. <laughs> now you're not happy anymore. But yeah, that's uh, that's brutal. Anyway, let's uh, finish this up here. So it's the ghost we're going to talk about. The ghost of a young girl is said to haunt this area of Tumlin and Tumlin Alley. Behind Augustine Stewart House with a graveyard of St. George's Church had to be raised in order to cram the victims of the plague into a series of graves. A little girl always appears in ragged gray clothing. Uh, many of those who have lived or worked in the area have either seen the girl or felt her presence, particularly when she moves objects around in the night or opens and closes doors. It's two of her favorite pastimes. Others have witnessed the gray lady of Tumlin walking up and down Tumlin Alley, and the former vicar of St. George, uh, Reverend John Minns, was practicing a sermon for the following weekend one day uh, when he saw a young woman dressed in gray. Uh, she entered the church through the main doors, walked across the back of the church, and left, leading into Tumlin Alley, doors which have been sealed for many years. So it's almost as like she went through sealed doors. Another experience was a DJ at a ritzy nightclub uh, which is based at Samson and Hercules' house. Okay, so the Samson and Hercules, that's another house uh, next door to this one. And it was in the 1980s, 1990s, that he heard some strange store, uh, noises from upstairs and went to investigate. A private party was booked that night. And it was not unheard for youngsters to try and gain access to the toilet windows to join the party. By the ladies' toilet, uh, the DJ saw a young woman dressed in gray challenging her he was perturbed i love the wording uh, when she ignored him and completely walked past him as he turned to see where she was headed he realized she appeared to have no feet and was gliding down the corridor now going back a bit in 1973 the following report was printed in the eastern evening news a local woman confided in mr hugh thompson he was a manager of the Norwich Tourism Center, uh, whose headquarters were at the Augustine Stewart's house in Tumlin. Oh, that she was startled to find the gray lady gliding along the cobbles of Tumlin Alley. 
The apparition, she said, clothed in gray from head to foot, was in full view for an appreciable time and then faded rapidly through a solid flint wall. Unfortunately, Mr. Thompson did not take the name of the woman, uh, the, the real one, at the time, but he says uh, she was thoroughly convinced she had seen the ghost. Uh, it also ends off by saying, uh, can she be one of Augustine Stewart's two wives who should be ensconced beside her husband in St. Peter, Peter's Church? Uh, could it be a nun who had lost her way between Norwich's many churches? Perhaps it was a seamstress employed by Taylor Stewart, uh, who was uh, Wayland in her way, Wayland in her, sorry. These English words are killing me. Uh, we have changed it quite a bit over the years. Or uh, perhaps the woman who was privileged to see the gray lady would come forward and furnish us with more precise description. Until then, late revelers who take a short call home uh, cut through Tumlin Alley, they should beware. Sorry, I just lost my my effort towards the end of that article. I just, I, I had a hard time reading it. I don't know if you guys, I, I tried to clean it up a bit. Hopefully it came across okay. But uh, yeah, ending it that way is kind of sucky. If I were writing this article, I wouldn't have ended it that way by saying it could be all these other people. It's just too confusing. I mean, it's just this little girl, this, this gray lady and her backstory is just absolutely tragic. And this article should be about her and not, confusing it but I, and then again it's england and and everywhere you go in england because of their history there seems to be ghosts around every single corner it's one of the things i love about them so anyway i'm gonna forgive them i'm gonna forgive them for challenging me here today i hope you can forgive them and forgive me as well as you've heard the energy just fade away inside my body as we got towards the end there anyway that's it everyone thanks so much for listening and i'll talk to you next week